Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and a man who... Yeah, whatever, whatever. Bardi, hill report. Let's go. <laughs> there, um, there, there's no longer a hill, to be happy to know. So the hill doesn't exist anymore. Um, the hill has now inverted itself into a mire, a nice, big, smelly swamp, and which we all find ourselves in. So we're we're all kind of where the hill used to be, but... We're now floating in a mire, and it's um, not nice. But we're all in it together, at least. We're all together now in the mire, so we can all be happy in that sense, that we're, we are now a unified um, fan base. That was Nathan A. Clark you heard there, so rudely interrupting me, but getting into <laughs> the important stuff of the podcast, which is Bardi's Hill Report, a regular feature here <laughs> on The Extra Inch. Um, <laughs> something I've been meaning to say for about a month now, and I keep forgetting, congratulations to Gianni and Sarah on their engagement. Gianni's one of our ex-subs and, um, and broke that news to us in the Discord, and it was happy news, so that's a nice way to start the pod, isn't it? Um, we'll quickly move on then, shall we? We'll just do it. We'll, um, what's the word? Eat, what is it like? Um, is it eating the frog? Is that, the, is that the phrase where you have to do something you don't want to do? Have Eat I made that up? I think you, I don't know. I've never heard of that. Are you okay, mate? <laughs> not really. No, I'm not really okay, if I'm, if I'm honest. Uh, yeah, eat the frog. I'm just Googling it now. Um, <laughs> it is a thing. Mm. Sounds regional to me. Yeah. yeah, eat the frog. Get more of the important things done today. Yeah, I don't know. Some sort of whatever. Uh, Man United team selection. So the team selection was was interesting. Um, interesting in the sense that Aurier came back, and we thought you know Aurier might be another one that that Mourinho is is feuding with. So slightly surprising to see him come back. Eric Dyer came back, which uh, I wasn't expecting. I'm going to be honest. I wasn't expecting to see Eric Dyer in the team. Um, and this also was sort of partnered with a, a slight tweak in our formation. So we, we started off in a 4-1-4-1 shape. Um, Bardi, firstly, how surprised were you to see Eric Dyer, your old mate Eric Dyer, back in the team? I wasn't happy about seeing Dyer back. There is. I, I decided because everyone knows my. I'm trying to move house. I'm trying to find somewhere to live, which hopefully will be settled in the next two weeks or so. But I've decided wherever I want to live in the future, I want to live in that patch of land that's behind Eric Dyer because it's it's peaceful, it's quiet, and it's a big open space where you you can pretty much do whatever you want behind there. <laughs> And when you've got someone like Cavani, Cavani was just like, wow, he could he could do what he had the freedom, the freedom of the penalty box, because behind Eric Dyer, there, there is peace and quiet. So, yeah, I wasn't happy to see him back. He's an awful defender and he makes us worse. And if we weren't going to go with Sanchez, then I want to see um, Alderweireld. And if we weren't going to go with Alderweireld, then I want to see Tanganga. If we weren't going to go with Tanganga, then I would like to have seen Ledley King play. I... <laughs> I can't I can't be dealing with Eric Dyer anymore. He makes me he makes me a bad human being and I need to stop talking about him. And Nathan, I'm going to ask you about the tactical change. So we moved to I called it a 4141. Some people have been calling it a 433 because Son and Lucas were quite narrow either side of sure. of Kane. Uh was that a surprise to you that we attempted a sort of tactical change? Not a shocking one. We saw that shape 
uh, at the end against Newcastle. Um, so maybe there's some sort of more, well, I was going to say long term, but <laughs> really more medium term thinking in terms of like getting the Celso into a regular starting position and, and, and playing that three man midfield. But at the beginning of the season, we were all we, we all wanted to see we, there's a lot of excitement about the idea of Ndombele, uh, Hoybier and the Celso together as a midfield three. Um I also think that it specifically makes sense for those two games in that Newcastle were overrunning us in midfield in that game and then United sometimes line up 4-2-3-1, sometimes line up 4-3-3 and um, have the option to move, like we do with Ndombele or Lo Celso, have the option to move Pogba forward to be a number 10 and, and do stuff like that. So kind of matching them up there. Um, I don't know if it especially really um, materialised in a useful way in this match. I guess so. I guess. I guess... I guess in the first half, the sort of energetic back and forth play from Ndombele and Lacelso um, was pretty useful in us contesting, uh, contesting for the ball, pressing United fairly high, um, and, and offering sort of multiple lanes of attack when we won the ball that kind of way. Um, yeah, and in terms of Dyer and Aurea, it's this, it's this ridiculous thing where, like, in order to like tell off the recent defenders who lost the game you have to bring someone else in and when you've already gone through that cycle two or three times you're bringing back in the guys that you kicked out the team twice to tell off the guys who are currently in the team and this this cycle of like <laughs> using one player to punish another instead of like it being a positive thing instead of it being yeah. well Dyer's playing well in training so he's got to start it's where well, you're playing shit in the match so you can't start and yeah just this endless thing where like I don't <laughs> I don't understand how it fixes itself I don't understand like the idea is that a player should simply learn that they have to be really good and they aren't getting the message like it's just a simple thing that they need to sort of get their head around and have have their squad members be punished. There's this quote come out from Alexis Sanchez that's like, you don't know what's going on. Like you play for a bunch of games and you're at the team for a bunch of games and there's no communication, there's no clarity. And it, it just ruins everyone's confidence unless you're Kane and Larice and that's it who've just been in the team the whole time and in so. the contest. Even and Huey Pierce. Yeah, okay. So four players and everyone else has to keep guessing each week whether they're whether they're good or not. Yeah, I agree in terms of the centre backs, definitely. It's like who is the least naughty centre back this week? Who who has not made a mistake in the last game? Or or something that could be said to be a mistake, right? Because they're not all individual errors there's sometimes systemic errors there's sometimes collective errors uh, so it's like who's the one who's perceived to have done the less bad things it's just like what is there to learn from playing eric dyer at this stage you know what <laughs> what is he going to do for us now that he wasn't doing for us when he was last getting a run in the team particularly against united where he's had problems before you know we've seen <laughs> him have problems with pogba before yeah yeah i don't know man he had po- problems with Pogba for the third goal. Did you notice that? Pogba just sort of brushes him aside <laughs> for the third goal. Derek Dyer would have problems against Luton Town, man. It's it, Nathan's said it, and I've said it a few times before. But there's nothing to learn here, man. I could get behind. This, I could get back on a hill with Mourinho if there was some kind of semblance of moving forward and fixing stuff. But there's not. It's it, he's punishing players by playing them basically. At the moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He hates Eric Dianorio, so you're going to start and you're going to get <laughs> mugged off. And that's that's kind of where we've gone with this. It's yeah. It, I mean, I I really wanted this to work because 
I, I just I'm just fed up of things not working. So I, I'm willing to chuck my money on any horse at the moment. So I was fully on board this, but this is this is now getting beyond a joke. And there, there is something I would like to talk long to, like another day about Lo Celso and Don Bele and Schoenberg. So I think there's I think there's major issues in that in that trio. We all had big hopes for it, but. I just, I just don't see it. Perhaps Lacelso and Endombele are a bit too similar, and maybe, maybe we just need a bit more of, of a, a clogger in midfield alongside Hjoiberg, and almost in the way as United play McTominay and Fred, and those two people give um, Fernandez and Pogba the kind of freedom to go and do what they would need to do. And I thought I was really impressed with Pogba. I've, I've been a Pogba fan for a long time. I don't think Pogba's just arrived now in the last two years. He's been around for a long time. He's been doing some incredible things. But Solskjaer has, has got two players that play alongside Pogba that really allow him to flourish. And I thought he was I thought he was brilliant yesterday. And um, I know, Nate, well, go, you go for it, Nathan. Uh, one other thing that he does for Pogba is not call him out to the press on a regular basis and make a yep. big public display of what a naughty boy he is and the same for Luke Shaw and it is pretty telling that Pogba and Shaw were two of the best performers in the game against Mourinho after he's you know put them on the naughty step when he's at United and, and derided the quality and said that they're not good enough when they're they're better than what he's up to now I, I would say with Luke Shaw it went well beyond naughty step I mean it actually it sure. became very very personal with Luke Shaw Dark. it was yeah. really nasty uh, he's he's a very good player Luke Shaw I was I mean, I've been impressed with him all season, but you know, like you don't, sometimes you don't appreciate how good a player is until they play against your team. And literally yes. every time he had the ball, I was fearful. He's just so composed in the final third. He always makes good decisions. He seems to have time. Um, yeah, really, really impressed by Luke Shaw. And I feel like he's going to make a, a run to be starting England's um, left back. Yeah. Uh, and I can't, I can't say that I would disagree with that. I think he's he's done enough this year to justify that. He looks a very good player going forward and going the other way. And actually, most of United's attacks came down the left. They were heavily focused down that side with Pogba and Rashford switching every now and again, but mostly Pogba out there, but drifting in. And that worked really nicely because it left space for Shaw to exploit. And because we had this sort of new setup, 4-1-4-1 or 4-3-3, depending on how you look at it. There was space there. Lucas Moura did track back every now and again to cover on the right, but not consistently. And that left a lot of room for, for Shaw, who really troubled us down that side, I thought. And United played it well. They, there were lots of sort of nice passes inside from Shaw to Pogba, and then Pogba would just switch it or play a pass to Cavani, whose movement was majestic, and they would cause problems. But let's let's talk about the sort of um, the ebb and flow of the game because I think it is worth I think it is worth talking about the, the first half. Let's be clear: the first half was pretty even, right? There was there was not a lot between the two sides in the first half, and I'm saying that in the sense that. It wasn't like a swashbuckling first half where both sides are creating chances. It was very tight. It was a very cagey first half. There wasn't really much on offer in terms of opportunities. Um, the one that came United's way was ruled out by the video assistant referee, which we can come on to. And the one that came our way, we took really quite well. Lucas with some excellent composure in the final third <laughs> and Son with a very... Very tidy finish, because when you see that from behind the goal, there's not a lot to aim at with Henderson scrambling across. And I thought Son did incredibly well with the finish. Um, and, and then the second half... Not that. It, yeah, not not that. And and the second half was the second half we've seen many, many, many times before this season. I've referred to it on Twitter before as our uh, XG create... XG... Um, accumulation flatlining because it stops basically we we stopped trying to score goals we we try to contain the opposition in a very passive way and just try and see it out 
I don't think you can do that against Manchester United. I think they're too good to to do it, and particularly when we're we're so sort of broken in terms of our confidence, in terms of all the things that Bardi said around the team shape and the the personnel. We this is a new formation. Players didn't really, to me, seem to know exactly what they were doing in the defensive phase. That we certainly weren't like an organised compact setup. I've been all for the very very low block encounter that we saw against City in games against these top few sides. It wasn't that against United, but it was like a a very passive mid-block, which achieved very little. Buddy, what what can you think they were trying to achieve in that second half? I, I just put on Twitter now a series of screenshots which I, I took from the from the YouTube highlights, which are which are very minimal. Oh, uh, analysis yeah. of goals conceded. I wonder where you got that original <laughs> idea. <laughs> well, I was also thinking about starting my own tactical channel of. Um, making videos and looking at things and breaking things down and I might do it but anyway can't recommend it <laughs> and there's no future in it I don't know if um, I don't know if we were trying to medium block because there's one screenshot I took just because it was bizarre and you've got um, Lucas at right back you've got <laughs> Aurier at defensive midfield you've got Hoiberg at left wing back and you've got oh, and Roden, mean. Yeah. yeah, just before the goal and Roden comes charging out and then Sun is in defensive midfield and I nobody plays that's not a low block I, I don't know what it is and I would fire him right now because that is <laughs> that's not if that is your interpretation of a low block then my friend, you don't know what you're doing. You've you've lost you've you've lost your mind because our central midfield was was strung out all over the place, and we had, we had our wingers occupying the half space. And unless unless this is some new newfangled tactic, which is way beyond me, then I don't know what the fuck he was doing. And that that's criminal. That's not a low block. That is pretty much get behind the ball and and try and stop him. But you can't play like that. There's um against Arsenal when we won two 0 earlier in the season. I know you weren't very happy about it, Windy, but I really liked it. I thought we we attacked them on the counter attack, got two 0 in front, and then we just played out the game very sensibly and in a controlled manner. Against City, we did the same as well. Our, our centre midfield trio were always within always within a couple of meters of each other, and we were very strong and compact. But there just seems to have something is broken at Tottenham, and the players. Are literally doing what they want, and unfortunately, we have a set of players who are, who are a bit stupid at the moment, and they're doing all the wrong things. And we have um, a manager on the side who doesn't know what he's doing, and it's it's come to this now that we we are a mid-table team who who have a massive striker who can score a few goals, but that's it. I don't know what we're doing. That wasn't low block. That wasn't medium block. That was that was an absolute nothing. <laughs> Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the, the tactical substitutions. We had a question from Greenman RD, one of our ex-subs, who says the timing of the subs and the choices to come onto the pitch just didn't make sense to me against United. For us to have had any silver any sliver of hope for the top four, we had to win. After it's one all, he takes off Lacelso, who may need to get to full fitness after a long layoff, for Sissoko. He took off Tongi for Lamella, another sub that's hard for me to justify. Even throwing on Bale in the way he did when we went down 2-1, he brought him on for Lucas. It's not like he took off Aurier or Huibier to just go for it. Can you provide some explanations or insights into these subs and how they even remotely made sense given what happened in the second half? So with with the first sub, with Sissoko coming on, he's trying to he's trying to correct the formation. He's, he's he thinks he's decided that actually the 4-1-4-1 or 4-3-3 shape isn't working. He wants to go back to a pivot in midfield, essentially going back to the shape we saw potentially against City in that game where Huey Bear and Tosoko were part of a back six or, or back eight, depending on the, the phase of play. The problem is it's one all at that point, right? Like If you're worried about the formation, do it before they score, 
make that adjustment before they score. It's one all now. We need to win the game, as Greenman RD says. That this is the wrong move now. The Sissoko coming on, the horse is gone. Stop trying to close the stable door. It's it's a strange one for me, and and I feel like we could have easily readjusted to a pivot with the personnel on the pitch. So fine, take off Lascelles if he's knackered, but bring on Bale, bring on Delhi. Push and Dombali back into the pivot. Try and make that work and have a go at them. Um, it's completely correct to be frustrated at Bale being thrown on when we're losing the game in, as a sort of one last hurrah move. Um, and I'm sure Bale feels very frustrated about that as well because he, he's got no time to try and impose himself on the game or do anything or, you know, get a fullback booked and then whatever, scare him. It, it's, there's just nothing left to sort of try and get out the game at that point. Plus United were pretty much all over us. So very, very peculiar tactical changes. Nathan, anything you can muster to explain Mm. some of these decisions away? I do think it's a complicated one um, because like, I mean, essentially this won't be the first time that like we've been in a losing or drawing position and we brought Sissoka one and fans have got upset about that. And I've said, well, well, look. Sissoko doesn't have to directly be a kind of a, a useful possession or, or goal-scoring threat himself. It's mainly about fatigue. You know that Sissoko can cover those distances. Our success in the first half is off the back of the the distance being covered and the the, the tackles being put in by Ndombele and Lacelso. We need to re-up that energy level so Sissoko makes sense for those reasons. But it's definitely the case... I think every single time that I put up that sort of argument and Spurs have lost the game. So yeah. like, <laughs> so what's the fucking point? You know, that, that, that might um, present itself theoretically as a solution, but it has never shown itself in practice to, to be worthwhile. So you're right. It, there needs to be a, a different option than replacing someone's legs with Sissoko's legs when we need to go. What would you have done? What would you, what would you have done at, at one all? <laughs> the thing is, it's like, I I wouldn't, I would have a completely different context at the club. Yeah. Like I would come out in the second half with a complete structure to the way that we play on and off the ball, which is not like a thing you can do with a sub when you're Jose Mourinho, you know? So uh, that that's what I'm saying is that like, yeah, he kind of has to take Lo Celso off because Lo Celso is fatiguing and he kind of has to play Sissoko because Sissoko is one of the few players who can take over that role and cover that distance and he kind of has to lose the game because of Sissoko's limitations right there there isn't not there isn't because I'm sure there might have been something that's possible like you say bringing on Bale and and playing a Domble in, in a two-man midfield, I think that there are potential weaknesses and, and shortcomings with that and the fatigue that Ndombele is picking up in that game mm-hmm. and everything else and, and, and how he's dealing with pressure and everything. I'm not saying that there wasn't possibly a substitution that could be made. What I mean is the the context of the club, the context of the manager, the context of the season and everything else going into that means that almost every decision is going to be a misstep. It, that's just, there isn't, like good substitutions to be made. I mean, the only the only thing the only alternative that exists probably is is you put Winks on and you try and keep hold of the ball and you try sure. and you try and turn the tide by just not allowing Man United to have the ball. But we he doesn't trust Winks and he seems to trust Sissoko more. And it, like Nathan said, there was there was obvious merit of putting Sissoko on because maybe it will stop Pogba. Maybe he'll hold position a little bit more than the Celso was doing. But you know when. You you can't change your tactical philosophy with one yeah. substitute, especially when that substitute is Musa Sissoko. <laughs> so you you're hoping that exactly his physicality can can turn it. 
but we, it's a it's a, a move that's been repeated many many times, and it's never had an outcome. Winks would have been the only one, or maybe you you just you get a forklift in and you move Dyer from centre back into centre midfield, and just <laughs> and just hope his his head fills the half spaces, and that's that's how you work. Nathan, you made a video um, this weekend just gone for the for the X subs around same coach, different players. Yeah. Um, and, and you looked at some of the reasons why some of our attacking play just isn't working at the moment. Do you think that Mourinho didn't play his particularly low block, the, the one we saw against City and then in that run against was it Chelsea and Arsenal, I want to say. Yeah. Do, do you think there's potential that he didn't play that against United because our method of counterattacking has been sussed? No. Well, kind of. <laughs> I think he wants it's medium block rather than low block because he wants to take some of the pressure off the defenders, which is what. So in the video, I I explained that like, and it's something that I've said on this podcast multiple times before is that like, yeah, if you're if you're stuck in a low block situation for forty five minutes or more, even if you have great great defenders, eventually they're going to concede goals. Um, if you can't get out of that, if you can't offer a threat on the counter, um then you're asking defenders to to be perfect for extended periods of time. Um, and what I get to in the video and what I try to look at in depth is like why that counter-attack has disappeared, why the threat in the second half is just non-existent. Um, and I think it's to do with improved counter-pressing systems from the opposition. I think it's to do with improved fitness from the opposition. I think it's to do with teams knowing what we're going to do, coming prepared for that, knowing that we don't offer a huge amount of possession. We do offer a threat on the counter, knowing what those counters look like and coming prepared exactly for that. Um, so I don't think the medium block does much to improve the threat of our counterattacks, but it might help take some of the strain off our defenders, but not enough. And eventually we're going to get forced into that low block over time against decent sides. And because of how passive you play in that medium block, you then become very easy to move around when you get pushed deeper. And that's why you get body screenshots where Lucas is playing left back and <laughs> Javier is playing right wing and, and Dombele is at centre half and Eric Dyer is up front because they're all just sort of standing around with, you know, following their man, not doing anything. <laughs> anything and suddenly oh wait where, where am i yeah very disorganized yeah i mean it was i i found your video really interesting i i as i ever as i always do um it was it was very informative um i, I did some analysis myself on twitter about why our defense is failing in which i looked at the number of clearances we make compared to other premier league teams and we make mm -hmm. the second highest number of clearances in the premier league yeah. uh, after fulham after fulham um, and, and all the teams that make high numbers of clearances are the teams you'd expect. So, we, you know, Burnley, West Brom, these, these teams that are, that, that are shit on for 90 minutes, essentially. So this is one of the reasons, one of the key reasons why I think our defence is struggling so much, because they're having to constantly clear the ball. And occasionally you're going to fail to clear the ball and may, be made to look stupid. And I, I think I think Bardi's right that Dyer's not a top-level defender. I really don't think Dyer's ever going to be a top-level centre-back. But I think he's a he's a passable centre back. I don't think he's a terrible centre back. I don't think Eric Dyer is worse than most centre backs in the Premier League. I think he's a six out of ten player. But he's being made to look like a two out of ten player by the system. In the same way that Davinson Sanchez is being made to look like a two out of ten player by the system, because they're being asked to do too much. This this is all wrong. The balance in the team is all wrong. And we said this from the start. We said this from the start of this season that 
using our team to solely counterattack is a complete misuse of our best players. It means you're you're getting some great moments from Kane and Son, but they're moments. They're not mm. getting Kane with the ball on the edge of the box for 80% of the match where he can really do damage. It's not like having Ndombele, one of the best midfielders in the Premier League, on the ball, able to dictate the tempo, able to dominate games, able to pick passes. He's getting it every now and again, and he's doing really well. You know, he's he set up two goals against Newcastle with excellent passing. Give him the ball more. Have a structure where we can get him on the ball. Huibier, one of the best possession-based midfielders in the league. In terms of pass volume, he can be up there with Jorginho. He can be up there with literally any other player if we play a, a, a structure that allows him to have possession of the ball. He's got really good um, understanding with, with Ndombele in that Newcastle game. Huibier finds Ndombele between the lines several times and Ndombele makes stuff happen. We should be dominating teams and snuffing out defensive... We should be protecting our own defence by having the ball and stopping teams being able to just you know go at us for 90 minutes until we break and concede, which is what happened here. So frustrating to watch. And look, this is Man United. They're a bloody good team and I'm not going to get... I'm not going to get too wound up because it's Man United and they're second in the league and we're currently shit. So I'm like, whatever, you know, we were going to lose against Man United, but it's it's the rest of the season that frustrates the hell out of me. Yeah, it, it's that we played this way against Newcastle and Palace and you know, Villa, everyone else. Um, uh, uh, we played this style, but not to this quality, you know, week in, week out. I go to sort of quite great length in, in that video to sort of explore or not explore I don't I try not to like say it I try to show it and and let it be read from the video that like it's hard to be a counter-attacking side in the modern game and what I don't want to go so far as to say is that like you can't counter-attack in 2021 I don't want to make out that like there's there's no joy in in counter-attacking football or that can't be done um it can it's just that when when the vast majority of your threat is in counter-attacking form, you become easier to to prepare for, and that's it. Mm-hmm. If if we if we were you know if half of our good attacking came from possession and half our good attacking came from counter-attacking, exactly. it becomes really hard to set up against. But knowing how we're going to play once we have the leads, knowing that if you mark Kane and you mark Ndombele, that we're then you can keep us in our box for for an entire half of football. That's what makes it so easy, I think. A uh, little little um, mention for Cavani, I think, is needed because I've been a bit sceptical about that signing of Cavani for Man U in the sense that, well, I guess it's because they've had previous signings of older strikers that haven't worked out. That that performance from Cavani was one of the best performances from a striker I've seen this season. Um, and Buddy, I'm sure you you know more about Cavani than I do and have seen him much more over the years. How good did you think, how how well did you rate his performance yesterday? I, I mean, I just thought he did everything. He had everything to his game. Well, I think United have had some success with older strikers. Larson was a success. Ibrahimovic was yeah, a success. Yeah, good shout. Falcao was a mess because his, his knee doesn't exist anymore. But um, <laughs> I thought... Man United, they need a number nine. For as much as he tried, Rashford's not a nine. Martial has never been a nine. And I don't think Greenwood will will develop into a nine. So they do need that kind of focal point. And if you're going to go for uh, an experienced number nine, he's, you know, he's the, and, he, and he's free. He's one of the best around. He, I still think in, you know, it's a, rep, it's a bad reputation that he has, but he does miss a lot in the big games. And maybe perhaps he scores against us because it's not a big game anymore. But, um, He's a he's, yeah he's a great striker, a great penalty box striker who links up much better than you think, 
And he he moves like a great white shark, man. He moves like the predator he's been his entire career. A man who scores goals everywhere. So, yeah. And if you've got players around him that can give him the ball and put him in situations where where he can damage you, then then he's going to score goals. And, it, like, Kane could look at that. And Kane could just stop coming deep and in four years' time become a Cavani whose sole purpose in life is, is just to score goals and then just allow Fernandes and players like Pogba to put the ball on his on his head. And he'll, he'll keep scoring goals. And if he wants inspiration of how to continue to be a veteran goal scorer, then he had it today. And I think maybe he's looked at that and gone, fuck it, I'm gonna, I want some of that. I really felt it was such a well-rounded performance. You're right; the movement is the key thing. It's it's mm. t- the timing of the run. Uh, it's the it's the disguise on the run as well. It's very difficult to anticipate what he's going to do next. Whether he's going to kind of burst in behind, whether he's going to come deep to link play. You're right to point out that his link play was excellent. Um, what I liked was like Pogba made several runs forward, and and one headers actually was really impressive in the air. And Cavani dropped deep to like get on the end of those and link play from it. And it was real nice variety. But then also, and this is the bit where you talk about Kane that makes makes my ears prick up. Like, yeah, he gets between the posts so often. He's so often mm. in a goal-scoring position where if the ball lands to him, he'll score. Or if he makes the right run, he'll score. Or at least, you know, have a shot saved and it comes out to a midfielder to, to score like they did with the Fred goal. I mean, we're so reliant on the moment, on Kane creating and Kane scoring, mm-hmm. that if if we could just... Kane's focus, your focus, mate, is just to score goals. And then, of course, you can still create because you're a brilliant player. But if we just took some of that burden off Kane and then just gave him the a sheer goal-scoring role, then, then you know, perhaps we'd save his ankles. Perhaps we'd like, make his career last a little bit longer. But unfortunately, we'd, I don't think we have, in, in the current setup anyway, other than Ndombele, someone who can give the ball to Kane in dangerous positions. Son, Son's a great player, but he's not that kind of build-up, intricate pass and move guy. Um, Lucas definitely isn't. And Lo Celso is not quite there. So if Ndombele's not doing it, then Kane has to go and do it. But then Kane can't keep passing to Kane. And that's, that's, where we've, that's where this whole tactic falls down in attack. There was one really nice bit of hold-up play from Son in that game, I remember. Uh, it might have been our sort of only counter in the second half or whatever where uh son delayed it and then played the uh the pass to Kane. You know, in a way that sort of vaguely resembled the goal we scored um in the North London derby. Mm, yeah. Yeah, 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 I remember that bit. Yeah. I mean, we had our chances in the second half. Kane worked Henderson, who was pretty solid. We hit the post. But I think ultimately, Manchester United were, were just a far better, far-rounded team and deserved their three points. They they adjusted and, yeah, and we were unable to unable to match them anywhere, really. Put up about 0.3 expected goals throughout the second half. It's, you know, it's not like there was nothing there. It's not like we didn't have any chances at all. It's just not enough to contend with the team who's come to play, basically. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly, exactly. We are going to talk about Kane's situation after the story that came out in The Athletic, our friends, our, our best friends at The Athletic, um, <laughs> this, this past weekend. But we're going to do it in maybe a week or two's time because there's too much to talk about um, about what's happening right now, I think. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. 
Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Barney, I'll come to you first as a man who's only just come down from his hill. There's lots of talk at the moment about firing Mourinho now. And of course, we don't know the financial implications. We don't know if there's a break clause in the summer. We don't know if, like, when it becomes impossible for us to finish top four, whether suddenly it becomes cheaper for Levy to get rid of Mourinho. That's that's entirely possible. Um, but with the cup final in mind, would you be in favour of sacking Mourinho because we might get a, a bit of new manager bounce in time for the cup final? Or do you think Mourinho is still the right man for that? particular game it's a really it's it's a really hard decision um I don't think we will sack him but I definitely see the merits in him being fired and somebody coming in and just implementing a back to basics plan even if that is a a low block encounter for for that cup final um I think I think he goes at the end of the season now I think that's nailed on um we just got to hope that Portugal offers offer us a way out but perhaps that will come even too late in the summer for that but maybe I guess if if we fire him and then Portugal offer him the job he'll have to pay back some money I guess like the situation we had with Pochettino um I don't know I fuck it fire him and let's see let's see what a combination of Mason King and Robbie Keane and Woodgate put them all on the bench and, and let's see what happens have one of them like in um Pacific Rim, have one of them controlling the defence, one of them controlling the, the midfield and one of them doing the attack. Let's, let's see what happens. Fuck it. Well, I mean, what have we got to lose? We lost the cup final anyway, the way we're all feeling. So fuck it. Let's just see what happens. Let's put three managers in there. So the thing is, Nathan, firing Mourinho means that we can go into the cup final with Toby Alderweireld at the back and Delhi behind our, our forward. <laughs> so is that is that a reason alone? Okay, in terms of like... Uh, vibes <laughs> in in the footballing sense yeah i i of course i would absolutely sack Mourinho right this second uh ask ledley king and ryan mason who wants it point them interim manager to the end of the season go into that cup final with 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 joy uh with you know no expectations in the positive sense that it doesn't matter if you lose and you have that weight off your shoulders. Um, just good feelings. Delhi's back in. Whoever wants to be back in is back in. You know, positivity, belief. Uh, <laughs> all of that. And I think that that probably is a better chance of winning that game than it is with, with Mourinho in charge. Um, but I think that I it seems almost certain to me that Mourinho is essentially fired now. But for financial reasons, it can't be official until we've not qualified for the Champions League because then it costs us tens of millions of pounds less. Now, we don't know that for sure. Reports on that are conflicted, but it really seems like that is the situation to me. Um, so I think that we're we're throwing away our best shot at, at the winning the League Cup final um, to save, to be fair, an awful lot of money on Mourinho's contract. Um, so I don't really blame Levy for waiting to the summer to sack him. I blame Levy for signing him in the first place. I mean, the craziest thing about all of this right now is if we could hire a manager to win us the cup final, it would be Jose Mourinho. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's bizarre that we have him and we can't win these games with him. That if he came in now, like he did after Pochettino's, everything under Pochettino went to a mess. He would come in and just go back to basics. He would play a steady Eddie back four. He would put Delhi back in. He would do this. He would do the basics and we would win that cup final easily. But um, but they're sick yeah. of him now. 
You know, he's had time to dig his claws in and make himself hated and create this venomous sensation within the club. Yeah, yeah, if we hadn't had him for the last year and a half (laughs) and he came in for one game, I'm sure he'd be excellent. I'm sure he can still do that. I'm sure he can do that for Portugal. But continued exposure to Mourinho is dangerous to you. I almost think it's something that it's maybe not what he does to his players. It's what he does to himself, that he, he he keeps closing opportunities and routes for himself to get himself Absolutely. out of trouble. He, he's got the players there who can fix these issues for him, but he's burning bridges like the worst employee you've ever seen. It's just <laughs> stop, stop killing your players. Like you could turn to the bench and go, Delhi, look, we need a bit of control here. Please come on and do what Lucas can't do. And Delhi would go, yes, boss, I'll do it for you. Or Toby, we just need a bit of common sense in the back line. But he, he's burnt all his bridges and he's got nowhere to turn now. And, that, and, and that's why it's done for him. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. He's made his own life much, much more difficult by backing himself into a corner in this way. Um, what I've been really interested in this past weekend is the number of stories that are starting to be published in in high-profile publications about Mourinho. And it almost feels as though some journalists have been sort of holding back this gold until they're certain that things are going terribly wrong for him before yeah, unleashing it on the world. Um, Jonathan Wilson wrote a piece of The Guardian, which has been met with a mixed response. I thought it was really good writing. I, I Of course, I enjoyed the subject matter because he was going in on Mourinho, but I thought the writing was really good as well. I, I really admire Jonathan Wilson's writing. Um, there was a piece, again, our friends at The Athletic, um, a piece from their Man United correspondent about Mourinho's time at... Old Trafford, which is unbelievably scathing in a whole host of different ways around sports science, around treatment of players, around saying that everything was crap, around how long it took fitness levels to return after he'd left, um, around playing Chris Smalling through injury uh, and then criticising him when he didn't want to play and then it turned out he had a double fracture, all these kind of things. I understand as well today there's been another piece published on him, uh, which is a bit of a sort of hatchet job. Hmm. Nathan, why is this? Why why have they waited <laughs> until now? Why why is everyone scared of Mourinho at his pomp in his pomp? Well, because like he might win a trophy and then you look silly. Is that um, it? Is that literally it? I, I really think that's it. But he I can really still win a trophy it. now. <laughs> yeah, but even if he does, it's still a, a failure story because he still gets sacked in the summer, and so your piece still stands credible. Um, and individually, they're all you know worthwhile reads. They're all good pieces. They're all interesting. They all provide insight. Collectively, they enable the sensation that there is a media agenda yeah. against Mourinho. Uh, and um, and I guess I guess by saying they've waited until this moment, they're it's because yeah. they've waited until it's convenient exactly. to 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 bury unleash him. these. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what to think of it. It's just, um, where was this when we were winning, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't come out with a, a piece that criticises a manager when they're winning because... They're, yeah, you they're, can. They're, and I think if you do, you're, you're brave. You're a good journalist. If you're willing to go against the the most recent result, if you're willing to publish a story, if you're willing to provide good information that goes against the current narrative provided yeah. by the results, that would be... That would be really good to see. I'd be really impressed to see sort of counterintuitive journalism. But it's all, here's this information. Let's wait until it matches what's happening on the pitch before we release it. I think it's stupid. 
I do think that's that's part of the. But the athletic have to wait for our friends at the athletic. They have to wait for the the mood to swing because they are based on subscriptions and they don't want Tottenham to be top of the league and say this football is outdated. Then all the Tottenham fans go, mm. but we're top of the league. I'm cancelling my subscription immediately. <laughs> so they they do they do a little they do their little Twitter polls and they see everyone's Jose out. So let's go with it now. And that's you know that's because now they've got not just the Man United fans who are anti Jose, not just the Chelsea fans, but they've got even more more people who hmm. want to read how bad Jose is. So I do think there is a little bit like that. I, I agree that I do think the Guardian, Independent and stuff like that, they've had journalists who've been going after Jose since since the first, since the start. The thing is, you just invite such a backlash. I mean, we saw it with this podcast. We, you know, Nathan and yeah. I were, were very upset with some of the approaches, even when we were winning, because we kept, I mean, I kept saying, I think it's unsustainable. I think we'll stop, eventually stop winning by this method. And people hated it. They hated me. I mean, I get so much hate still on Reddit because people think I've got this sort of negative um, anti-Mourinho giant. I, I just, I, I hated it at the time and I hate it now. Like, at least I've been consistent, right? Um, on the on the, on the the sort of other side of the argument, we had this email from Samuel Kamlani and I think this came in before the Man U game. So I, I kind of want to say apologies to Samuel for sort of reading this out now post-United because I think things have moved on a bit. But um, he said, he said, look, I can imagine that the same coach, different players thing would upset certain players. But wouldn't you agree that we haven't bought good enough players? Is he annoyingly right? Since having the best defence in the league in Walker, Adverald, Vertonghen and Rose, we've bought Aurier, Sanchez, Foyt, moved Dyer to centre-back and promoted and moved Tanganga to right-back. Not to mention Lloris has been uh, has had long spells in most seasons where he's let in some serious howlers. Granted, Roden and Reginald look good, but that's a very low return when compared to the overall activity. Samuel thinks that Steve Hitchin has a terrible record of player investments while he works for a club owned by a company that increases its wealth through investments. Bardi, I feel like you're going to be quite um, excited by this analysis because it's, it kind of goes along with what you've been saying, that ultimately we just don't have a good enough defence. I, I think... And you know, a good defender will will remain a good defender. So, Van Dijk at Southampton was a a great. He was a good defender at Southampton, but then he went to Liverpool, and when he was lined up alongside better players in a system that worked, he became a world class defender. So yeah, so th- there is that. But I do think our our the, the defenders that we bought as individuals aren't that good, and unfortunately, the coaching hasn't been that good. So we haven't been able to elevate already average players, and I think that's where it falls down. We we spoke many months ago about uh, Mourinho's success, and his success has been built on having world class centre backs, and that's quite that's kind of simple in football. If you've got Lucio, Samuel, um, Sergio Ramos, Varane, these kind of guys, it, it defending is easy. But where what we needed from from Mourinho was a little bit of coaching, a little bit of guidance, and um, he lost his assistant manager, his assistant coach, um, Rui Faria, I think it was somebody, someone Faria, up on yeah. yeah, Faria, and so maybe he suffered from that. Maybe maybe that guy was the defensive linchpin, but the problem here is he hasn't been able to make our average players better and some of our better players have got worse other than Kane so that's that's ultimately what will cost him the job it's the same coach different players but it's um, perhaps he's making new mistakes Nathan anything you'd like to add to that well um, I think that over the last three four years our recruitment has been 
mixed to poor and the very worst piece of recruitment that we've done the most expensive and most detrimental signing we've made has been Jose Mourinho right he is part of our recruitment issue he's mm. the biggest part of our recruitment issue um I don't know it comes down to like Daniel Levy is a really really smart businessman and much like I've talked about many times with Mourinho 10 years ago that's a significant advantage 15 years ago that's a really significant advantage over the opposition having a chairman who <laughs> is just smart just generally an intelligent person puts you in like the high percentiles of football chairman right what chairmen have done in the time that Levy has very much admittedly transformed this club for the better is realized their own limitations and brought in directors of football right taken the european model and realized their own limitations sat back you know gone down to work in five hours a week unless someone who knows what they're doing do it professionally for them daniel levy as a sort of victim of his own success has said well i'm doing a good job i'm going to carry on doing a good job but the game has changed around him much like Mourinho, and and there are weaknesses to his football knowledge again really smart when it comes to negotiating a new stadium like do you have any idea how many clubs <laughs> will do and could absolutely make a horrific mess of moving into a new stadium and just destroy their financials for decades and decades levy is really really good at that what he's limited in is his football knowledge and he has to let a smarter football person come in and take over that role and take over recruitment take over manager recruitment someone who will sack Mourinho day one and someone who will replace Mourinho with a better manager and give that new manager better recruitment too yeah when I go back to Samuel's email and I look at that that back four of of Walker Adveral Vertonghen and Rose there's a couple of things I think about the first things are how much work Pochettino did to make Walker and Rose as good as they became because they didn't they weren't good when he first started Rose was a horrendous left back he was a a player that we were loaning out and probably going to sell and Pochettino made him into the best left back in the league um we we called him the fullback whisperer for years because he he seemed to be able to just do it with fullbacks time and time again yeah even Alderweireld and Vertonghen, you know, the good players as they were, he made them better. And I feel like, yes, of course, Sanchez is a worse player than Toby Alderweireld. Yeah. Of course, Eric Dyer is a worse player than Jan Vertonghen. I don't think Regulon is worse player than Danny Rose. Certainly not from the the benchmark, the like the base point where um, Rose started from. And likewise, Aurier is better than Walker was when Pochino first got hold of him, although way below what Walker was at his peak. But the point stands that you've got to be able to work with players and the whole point of coaching is that you make players better and you make units better. You you un- unlock potential, you unlock skills. Mourinho signed Matt Doherty. He converted Dyer into a centre-back. They were his choices. They were things he chose to do. So he doesn't sort of just get a pass because because he didn't have Walker, Adverell, Vertonghen and Rose. He's been involved in replacing them. And I think that's sort of... I, I, look, I'm not going to say that he's to blame for our... our look, I, I, I just think he is a part of the problem there as well, if that makes sense. Like, there's more he could have done to improve our players individually as players and also collectively as a backline. And if they weren't good enough, he could have recruited better. He had the opportunity to recruit better and he signed Matt Doherty and then played him in a position where Doherty hasn't played for probably a decade. <laughs> you know... So I, don't, I just don't think he gets a pass. It's all a bit sad, Wendy. You know, it's all a bit sad how, how this kind of group of Tottenham players 
perform now and how it, what it's become and that's that's the worst part about it because as a as a football fan you spend your you spend your days being an optimist and even though the league cup final you're thinking about it now you, you dread it it's it's very sad that we're we're dreaded a cup final when it should be all about you know can't wait can't wait for the big occasion for the big event and just like a lot of spurs in the last 2 years it's just it's just, it's just, it's just full of melancholy, and it's just like, come on, Tottenham, for fuck's sake! You, you, you know what just... though, like what Nathan said, that the whole kind of give it Ledley, I, hmm. I, like I would be so up for that cup final if Ledley King was leading us out. It's a free hit. It's one of, he's he would immediately you'd immediately re, uh, reunite the fan base. Yes, the, the Mourinho ultras would would step away, and you would be left with a fan base that love Ledley King and don't have a bad word to say about him. There's so much and credit in the bank. Credit in the bank, and you you would have a you would have a situation where if we lost, it was like okay, there's mitigating factors. If you win, then it's the most incredible thing ever, and Ledley King should immediately retire and never manage a football <laughs> yeah. club again because it's not going to get any better than that. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, I I wanted to protect Ledley. I've been a bit like I don't want him thrown under a bus with this team and everything else. But fuck it, perhaps we do just give it Ledley. This is the thing. Like I think this is where we slightly differ, still, Bardi, because you do feel sad and, and pessimistic for the future. I feel massively optimistic like I'm just waiting for the moment that Mourinho is sacked because I see an upward trajectory like you would not believe from there there's so much potential in this squad people say that sacking Mourinho is not going to fix the problem I've been called deluded today because I think it (laughs) it does fix the problem Um, and people are saying like it just papers over the cracks I disagree. I disagree. I think everything Daniel Levy's done over the last five years is the papering over the cracks. Daniel Levy has has sealed the cracks. He's replastered the cracks. I think he's done such an excellent job of, of just solving our financial problems. Look, I understand that the stadium has not been open this season, so we haven't had the competitive advantage we would have had had we been getting that that revenue from the match day experience. I think that's a massive shame and we might have to wait a couple of years. But it's all there. It's all like the, the model is all there now. We can start spending money because we're gonna have that match day revenue. Whereas we had years of, of low net spend in transfer windows because we were building a stadium. It's all there. It's all good to go. We've got a fantastic academy with genuinely two of the best young players in the country in Divine and Scarlet coming through. We've got the best striker potentially in the world still. And I don't think he's going... Like, we'll talk about it another day, but I don't think he's going anywhere this season. We've got some fantastic players. We've fixed our midfield by signing Huybier, you know? We've wanted this this holding midfield player for three years since Dembele left or, or declined and then left. And we've got it. We've got a midfield that that can work. I I, I feel excited. I feel really excited. You know, even if it's not the manager, even if it's not Nagelsmann, Nagelsmann might go to to Bayern. Whatever. Even if it's Graham Potter. Like I just think there's so much potential there. I really do. Do you know what this sounds like? This sounds like. Tottenham are in a pandemic and Wendy's talking about Tottenham getting free of lockdown and getting back out there and doing things. It's like Jose is our pandemic and we just, Lady King is almost like the vaccine just to get us through it. <laughs> but I think, I think uh, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer sort of provides the example as to why Wendy's right about this because I don't think that he is some great manager. No. I, you know, I don't think he's bad. I think he's fine. I think he's okay. Like, essentially, the results under Solskjaer are pretty similar to what they were like under Mourinho. But everyone in and around the club is just so much happier because the players aren't getting called pricks 
in, in front of the media because the football is better to watch. And people are unhappy with, with Solskjaer. People, United fans mm. still want more of United and that's okay. But it isn't this horrifically deep, toxic, miserable experience. It's just sort of ups and downs, good times and bad times, good games and bad games, good plays and bad plays. There's some frustration, but my goodness, it is so far removed from what it's yeah. like under Mourinho that, yeah, yeah, I think just some guy <laughs> would 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 be so much better. It's exactly. Like I'm I'm not saying we're going to win the league next year. I'm not saying that. But just not having a bastard as a manager it just makes life so much better. Um I will just enjoy watching Spurs again, particularly if we have a manager that I can see is building towards an approach that I see as a as a viable, sustainable and maybe even exciting uh approach to to football. So I feel pretty good. I feel I feel like the end is near. I feel like I'm um, I'm gonna be putting jelly and ice cream in my next Tesco order, ready for the day that that Tottenham announced the sacking of Jose Mourinho. Before the podcast this week, I tweeted for people to not send us questions, but instead send us one word that summed up how they're feeling about Spurs right now and said that we'll read some out. So this is the response that I had to that tweet from the Extra Inch account. Cheated. Lost. Meh. Detached. George Graham-esque. I see you did there, S-Heart. Bit of a cheat, but I'll let you have it. Disappointed. Constipated. Conflict. Substantiated. Smegma. Tired. Resigned, frustrated, sliding. That one was from Bardi. I think he's talking about sliding down the hill. Shitty, disconnected, defeated, unsurprised, resigned, resigned, disconnected, apathy, amazing with three lolling emojis. Furiously apathetic, hyphenated. I see what you've done there, lifelong sleep fan, but we'll allow it. Weary, indifferent. Another meh. Alone. Parting. Conflicted. Disconnected. Apathetic. Orphanage fire. Another apathetic. Impatient. Inevitable. Expensive. Exhausted. Numb. Another meh. Unsurprised. Apathy. Fatigued. Empty. Numb. Detached. Unperturbed. Disillusioned. Drained. Frustrated. Unsurprised. Sad, wraith-like, omni-shambles, good word, disappointed, despondent, melancholy, indifferent, discombobulated, another good word, nothing, woke, bored, unsurprised, indifferent, disheartened, emotionless, disappointed, sad, doggo, yeah, why not, zen, shrug, despondent, apathy, apathetic, Apathetic, it's a bit like apapapi, apapa. Uninterested, tactical, so tactical. Detached, ennui, Sherwood. Completely nothingly pissed off right now. 2000s, deflated, indifferent, detached, alienated. Positivity belief, sad, ridiculed, drained, numb, despondent, depleted, disengaged, nogglesmanista, numb. Disillusioned, another ennui. Haze, disconnected, splintered, disillusioned. Dice, lifeless, collywobbles, callous, optimistic, tired, disillusioned, flat, shit, disillusioned, emptiness, 
exasperated, waiting, uninterested, livid, indifferent, apathy, exhausted, hopeless, befuddled, lackadaisical, done, disassociated, uninvolved, numb, dejected, numb, banjaxed, disenchanted, embarrassed, indifferent, waiting, sad, expected, detached, sissocoed, alienated, fence, deflated, hopeless, disinterested, bored, disconnected, dislike, who? Numb, spursy, numb, excited, despondent, numb, squalid, spursed, disappointed, sad, numb, nostalgic, numb, whatevs, carabao, despondent, dejected, disengaged, stale, exhausted, tumour, stale, joker, disappointed, waiting, sad, welchmerch, don't know what that means, hopeful, apathetic, wistful, broken, soft, alienated, empty, disengaged, weary, blah, blur, future, P45, not a word, I'll allow it, apathetic, dire, nihilistic, sigh, deja vu, affirmed, pegging, and disenchanted. Thank you, Jose Mourinho, for that poetry.